Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Jody Spears from Channel 7. Jody's been working in Sydney media for over a decade, in TV for Channel 7, and in radio for 2SM, WSFM, and 2UE. We chat about her disastrous start at 2SM, what it's like being part of a media couple, how motherhood has changed her, and what role Mark Latham played in shaping her career. Jody is such a warm and generous personality, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Jody Spears. Hello, Ralph Tucker. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. You've just come off a shift at Channel 7 where you're now reading the 5am news the 5 before sunrise. 5am news, my gosh, yes, um, I have. So excuse me if I sound like I'm not making a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> I started, I've, well, I'm a couple of weeks in now doing this shift and it's sort of back to those radio hours that I haven't done for a few years. And I was like, sweet, it'll be fine. You know, I get in there at sort of 3.30, out by kind of 5.30, 5.45. And that's all fine, except that when you've got a sick and teething baby at the same time, it's like, oh. So I'm just trying to get through the week and um, hopefully make sense in this podcast. How did that all come about? You're obviously just coming off maternity leave as well. Yeah. Um, it's funny how things work in in media. I went on maternity leave for nine months originally. And then at the end of nine months, I kind of thought, oh, I'm not sure that I'm quite ready to go back on the road because I loved reporting and I've reported for however many years, but it's, I don't know, it's so different when you're a mum because they're unpredictable days. I could end up in Newcastle or wherever. Sometimes yeah. you'd be sent to, you know, Coonabarra brand and end up there for a week and be buying your toothbrush from Woolies or whatever. And that's all fun, <laughs> except when you've got a baby at home. So I was like, oh, you know, not sure what I'm going to do. Extended the maternity leave. And then we got a couple of new bosses, um, as happens in media sometimes you know the two old ones are suddenly gone and they've been replaced and um yeah the two new bosses sort of came up with this new offer I did a bit of filling in reading over summer and um then they said how would you like to do the 5am you know you'll be home pretty much in time for your baby to wake up and yeah I thought well in a lot of ways that works um I wasn't quite ready to sort of go back full time and leave him all day and whatever so yeah it, it works. It's nice to have bosses that now take that into consideration, whereas perhaps 10 or 15 years ago, you would have been expected to just step back into your old role. And that would have been a bit of a struggle, as you mentioned, by just having a one-year-old at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. And I think the whole sort of landscape has changed a bit. Channel 9 seems to be pretty accommodating as well. Um, you know, they've got a few mums who are sort of on and then they're off on maternity leave and then some come back and replace the others. And it all sort of, I'm sure it can be a bit of a, a nightmare to manage at times, but, you know, it all seems to work out and, and people can sort of get, get on with their careers and, yeah, keep looking after their kids at the same time. It's great. How do you find reading as opposed to being out on the road? Ah, interesting question. It's different, obviously. Um, when I was in radio, I didn't enjoy reading all that much. I loved being out and I think 
I was, I just got so much excitement from being out on the road at stories from the start. You know, as soon as I started doing work experience in radio, that's kind of what I enjoyed. So I did combine it in radio, but I loved reporting. Um, and then, yeah, same thing in TV, loved reporting, went to Canberra for a couple of years. Um, but now I just see the benefits of reading, um, in terms of lifestyle. And I also, enjoy it a lot more than I thought I would and probably more than I used to in radio. Do you think that comes with experience? Maybe, yeah. Like a couple of people have said to me, you know, I'm sure I've got a long way to come in the chair, but a few people have said, oh, you know, you look really comfortable. And I think when you're sort of sitting on the other side of it and you've been doing a lot of those stories that you're introducing, you, you know, you feel a connection probably more with them when you've been reporting on them for 10 years or whatever. And, you know, I've done a fair bit of crime, court, politics. So I feel like I relate to, you know, a lot of the stories that you're bringing in and you sort of have maybe something to say off the back of live crosses and things, whereas I may not have sort of had such comfort with that when I was younger. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. It's, yeah, it's it's a challenge for sure. But, um, but it's something new and I, I think I kind of seek that anyway. Like when I've been doing the same thing for a while, I get itchy feet and want something different. So, yeah, the timing's good. Let's go back to where it all began. Mm. Were you one of these ones that was always fascinated by media or was there another career path that you had yourself uh, pegged for? Well, when I was a kid and people used to ask what I wanted to be, I used to say, I either want to be a surgeon or work in a cake shop. Um, and I saw that as, you know, like nothing weird at all. It was just <laughs> one of the two. They'd both be awesome jobs. Um, and then as I kind of grew up a bit, I, yeah, I'm not one of those people who was always sort of destined to now. Sometimes I feel like I have always been destined to be a journo, but when I was in high school, I think maybe part of it, I was really interested in news and media and all of that. But I think the stereotype of a female journo that I was kind of used to was like American movies and whatever, where, you know, the female journos were these loud, aggressive, like ruthless, brash kind of chicks. And I was like, oh, I'm just not that aggressive. That's not really me. No, that's not you. No. (laughs) So I didn't really um, relate to that. And I was like, oh, you know, you probably have to be like that. And now I kind of, you know, I think, gosh, I wish I'd known back then that you don't have to be like that. And there's there's jobs for so many different personalities in our industry yeah. and that's what makes it great. And, you know, yes, that really aggressive reporter might kind of work in some scenarios because it's a competitive game, you know, yeah. especially commercial TV news. Um, but then there are other times where, you know, you might be talking to a family who don't want someone really in their face trying to push them and they're going to respond better to someone who's a bit more sort of laid back. Um, yeah, so, showing a bit of compassion. and Yeah, I think so there's sort of a, a place for everyone. So, yeah, no, I didn't always want to do that. Um, the day before uni preferences were due, I was like, oh, don't know, tossing up all these different things, ended up doing communications um, at Sydney for, it was a four-year degree, so it took a while and I wasn't a very good student. I was like at the pub. More interested in the socialising. <laughs> Pretty much. I was working at the pub, which didn't help. Right. So I was, you know, doing like these, you know, overnight shifts till five o'clock in the morning. It was probably good training for radio, really. <laughs> going to staffies afterwards. My mum was a bit concerned about, you know, where I was going to end up. But, um, yeah, after all of that, I sort of got a bit serious, got some work experience, and that's where it all kind of started. 
and radio was the first port of call, but was there always a fascination with television in the background? Or um, Look, I think when, as a teenage girl, you probably find TV a bit more attractive. I wasn't really a girly girl or anything, but, you know, I guess it's just more visual. And as far as news goes, I think, you know, the a lot of the news that you would hear was on sort of talkback stations. And when I was that age, I probably saw those as what my parents listened to, Yeah, you know, so I was probably originally more drawn to TV. And then once I finished uni, um, we, I had no connections in media whatsoever. So you didn't do any work experience while you were at uni or? I was sort of busy at the pub and going on exchange <laughs> and stuff. I did do some, I did, I did some, but it took me a little while to kind of find where I was going and it was, probably you know, right towards the end that the one connection I had was um, a, f- a good friend of mine, Nikki, it was good family friends with the Zamanics. Right. And so she said, I'll go and see Marcella. She'll, you know, she'll give you some pointers. And yeah. Yeah. So I went to see Marcella and she said, I'll go and do some work experience with Stan and um, at 2UE. And so I did that and then, you know, got to know Burnsy in the newsroom, Greg Burns and um, Sandy Aloisi, I think, was a program director. And so I sort of knocked on a couple of doors and said, you know, could I get some casual work answering the phones and stuff? So, yeah, that's where it all kind of started at 2UE. Okay. And how long did you do that for before looking for a journalist job? I think it was was sort of over the summer there was – maybe about four or five months of answering phones. I remember learning on Stan's show and then my first kind of proper shift was on Sharina's Psychic Predictions on a Sunday night and I was like, you know, Sunday night, it'll be sweet. Like she used to be bombarded with phone calls. Phones went nuts. Absolutely nuts. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, and trying to keep all these people sort of happy while, you know, they're hanging on the line and then you can't get to them all in the end and whatever. So that was a bit of a challenge. And then um, I knew that I wanted to sort of edge towards the newsroom. So I went to see Burnsy and asked for some work experience in there. And I think that's when I really went, yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, What tweaked for you? What made you think, you know what? This is actually pretty cool. I want to pursue this. I think it was going out to different stories with there were lots of young reporters in there at the time, like Dan Sutton and Dane Svensson, and, you know, I'd go out with them. And then there was one day, I can tell you where it really kind of clicked for me. Um, Kylie Simmons was the police reporter at the time. No, Kylie, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I was a bit in awe of her because she'd done all these big stories and like the quarry fields riots and all this stuff. And so I was sent out with her one day and... Oftentimes when you're the work experience person, you feel like a bit of a spare part. You know, you're trying to be useful. And so we were sent to this press conference at Liverpool Hospital where a woman had left her baby. She'd sort of freaked out and abandoned the baby and police were doing an appeal for her. And so I was sort of holding the microphone for Kylie and, um, you know, we got through this press conference. And then suddenly the phone rang and the newsroom was like, get to this park in wherever. It was obviously somewhere near Liverpool in the suburbs. And Mark Latham's doing a press conference and we were like, oh, shit, okay, jump in the car. This is before GPS. So I think Kylie then went, awesome, I've got someone with me who can look at the maps and stuff, so I'm navigating to this park and the heart's racing. Because otherwise she would have had to have 
done it herself, driving, herself. got the sideways on the on the on the lap while she's uh, you know trying to frantically get there. Exactly, and like there wasn't a lot of time. He'd sort of called this snap press conference, and he'd been under pressure and whatever, and no one was quite expecting this to happen. And so we screamed to a halt at this park. Latham, you know, storms up and he's fired up like he like he is a lot of the time, and he mm. announces that he's pulling the pin. And this was you know a big story. It was over summer, I think, and he'd yes. been under pressure, pulled the pin, and you know, he started going off at all the journos and the camos, like calling us all animals and whatever. And I was sort of desperately trying to, you know, race after him with the microphone and whatever. Mm. And afterwards, you know. Is there fire footage of that? Oh, probably. I remember seeing it on TV that <laughs> night and going, Mum, that's my hand. Uh. And she was like, okay. But I was so excited that I'd been there yeah. watching this. I just thought it was like the biggest privilege to, you know, see something sort of that everyone's talking about happen. And um, afterwards, Kylie was on this high because she'd, you know, obviously been under pressure and had nailed this thing. She'd got yeah. on air. It wasn't even her domain. It was politics. You know, she did crime. Yeah. But you step into whatever you have to do in news. And um, at the end of that day, I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is, yeah, definitely for me. And then how did you then progress through the ranks from there? Obviously, you know, You've got to pay rent, right? So being the work experience kid. Well, I didn't then because I was, was living with my parents, which It was is fun handy. at the time, but you've got to kind of forge your career out of exactly, it. Exactly, break away from the pub. I think I was still at the pub at that stage. Um, so then I went to see Bernsey, the news director, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, and he was like, look, we don't have cadetships anymore at UE, um, so you'll have to go to the country. Like, yeah. like find a country job. And I was like, okay, cool. So I, I don't know if I like sat down with a phone book or something and just looked up like radio stations in the country where I don't think it was even just New South Wales. It was like The, f- the phone book, how quaint. Yeah, I know, how <laughs> quaint. I'm just picturing that. Maybe it wasn't, you know, quite that long ago. <laughs> um, and so I just like made, I think they were cassette tapes, you know, yeah. this terrible news read that I'd done because I'd never done any, sent them off to like any country station that I could find and didn't get a response from, you know, any of them pretty much until this one guy and you know it's funny when things kind of stick in your head where someone's been nice to you and finally this one guy from the south coast I think from like an FM station on the south coast wrote back still remember his name his name's Rob Gooder and I've never met him I don't know him but he was sort of one person who wrote back to me and said Jody like keep at it you know I'm a one person newsroom here so I don't have anything but you know if you see these anything to go by you'll get snapped up so just keep knocking on the door yeah. and I was like oh thank you like that was such encouragement at a time where I was like oh maybe I should just give up because I'm really it's nice to get feedback when you know these days people just seem to be too busy for anything exactly and I kind of get that like a lot of them were probably one person newsrooms who were young like me and you know were like no I don't have a job and so they just kind of moved on. But it was great to hear from him. And then he actually got back to me and said, oh, our sister station up in Musselbrook is looking for a journo, so I hope you don't mind. I've passed on your tape and whatever. And I had somehow missed Power FM in Musselbrook in my mail out, my mass yeah. mail out of tapes. And, um, yeah, they ended up calling. And so that was my first proper gig. And I was so proud. Like I had my own office and, you know, I was this announcer on country radio. Oh, announcer, not a journo? I was, bo- well... You do everything, okay. as you probably know. So I had, I think there were about eight news bulletins a day okay. that weren't live. You had to, it was a funny setup. You had to kind of pre-record things and whatever. And then I did um, a two-hour show a day called Hunter Valley Life with Jodie Spears. Oh, is there tapes of that? Uh, I hope not. Like I, cre- I actually, it makes me f- like 
shake even thinking about how terrible it must have been. I was like producing it myself, panelling it myself, um, obviously, you know, the announcer, and it was all about sort of local current affairs and yeah. stuff. And I'm this city chick who's just come out of uni and talking about, you know, mining issues, farming issues, interviewing like the local politicians. You've got to do what you've got to do, right? If that's Hilarious. what you want to, um, if that's what you want to sort of uh, make your career out of, you've got to be willing to do anything. Absolutely. And, and you've got to get your head around it quickly and, you know, at least sort of sound like you semi know what you're talking about yeah. or that, you know, you're interested enough that people will forgive that you don't. So I'd like fade out Lawsy's show um, at midday and then I'd bring up my fader and introduce Introduce Hunter Valley Life. And yeah, that was that. And then, you know, God, you do everything. I had to do the funeral announcements every morning and not stuff up the name of the church, you know, in my I'd imagine like and pronunciations of suburbs might have been a bit tricky yep, at yep, times. Yep. Um, all of that stuff. And even like ads for the local butcher and the local beautician. And I drew the line one day when um, my flatmate at the time was writing the ads and he wrote an ad for the beautician and wanted me to voice it. And it was all talking about how I would go to this beautician to get my moustache waxed off. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm the, everyone knows that I'm the newsreader and the announcer and now you're like wanting me to go on and talk about my moustache. Um, so I was like, no, not reading it. Throw True. that one in the bin. <laughs> Through the line somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. So how long did you spend there and how long did, was it before you made your way back to Sydney? So I was always in a bit of a hurry and I think probably in my head too, um, you know, I'd spent four years at uni and lots of people – still like weren't doing uni degrees to get into what we were doing then. So I was kind of conscious that I was a fair way behind and I wanted to catch up. Like I remember meeting Dan Sutton and he'd been in my year at school and I felt like he was so far ahead of me. I was like, okay, got to get back to Sydney, you know. So I I sort of regret being in such a hurry because it was such a good experience being in Musselbrook, but I think it probably lasted for about seven months or so, and then I got on the phone to 2SM, which, you know, as it turned out, I probably could have skipped the country step and gone straight to 2SM because they were taking girls out of uni anyway. Um, But I'm really glad that I I did that time. It was great. And, yeah, so I started at 2SM. I sent off my tape and whatever, and they called and said, okay, we've got your tape and your CV. Um, Have you got a photo? And people will probably relate to this story who worked at 2SM because I was like, um isn't it a radio job? Like, what? <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I sent my photo oh. and fortunately they said, you've got a job. guess it'd be a bit devastating if they then said no. Um, so, yeah, I started there and it was a newsroom full of young girls like me, yeah. fresh out of uni, the blind leading the blind completely. But, you know, it's just a really good opportunity to Who was of, the boss there at that stage? It was, was Diane, who Di? I think is yeah, still yeah. there and is lovely. Um, and, she, you know, she knew what she was doing, but we were on these shifts at every single end of the day. So you weren't always obviously on with Di. Um, and so I'd be on sort of a, a mid-dawn with another girl who'd just started and we'd just be sort of figuring out which buttons did what and, you know, sort of how to put a news bulletin together. And, and it's a huge network too, isn't it? Like people yeah. sort of... Um, deride to SM, but for people that are probably looking to make that step, being a commercial station, but not as part of the ratings, and but also spreads out to that country network. Yeah, you can get your name sort of out there. 
uh, and really, I guess, practice your craft. Which can be good and bad, yeah. as I sort of figured out. I remember on, I think, like my second day, they threw me on to read The Breakfast Shift because I think they thought I was quite experienced because I'd had a job before, I'd been in the country. Right. And so got in the booth, didn't know how to work anything, hadn't read a live bulletin before, and I somehow pressed a button that took me to the very bottom of the script. Right. And I didn't know how to get back up. And so I was absolutely you know, just flailing on air. I was just silence. And I remember it was someone from Lismore who then rang and said, who the hell was that? Get her off. <laughs> so they like threw me off the breakfast shift and I was really devastated. And anyway, I clawed my way back somehow. Oh, baptism by fire. Absolutely. And As so I've always you, did, you so. certainly learnt from that experience, obviously. Definitely. And then I think I spent another maybe eight months or so there and made some amazing friends. Like there's a sort of a group of I think about eight of us who were at 2SM together at that time. Right. We're still all really close. Most of them, they, yeah, they pretty much all still work in, in media or media-related kind of industries. So it was a good grounding in, oh, in the end then. Amazing. Like it was, yeah, a total blessing to work there and, you know, for them to give us those opportunities I'm, I'm really grateful for because no other city station would have taken me on board. I remember even when I was in Musselbrook applying for a job in Newcastle because that was sort of seen as a next step and the Newcastle station, I, uh, yeah, I think I still remember the woman there as well and she was really rude and was like, yeah, I suggest you get a bit better before you um, apply for another job here and it was so unconstructive and I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. So, yeah, to have that 2SM opportunity and then I got a call in there one day, I think when I was working on a weekend, you know, eight months on or whatever from Corinne McKay from WSFM yep. saying, you know, would you like to come and have a coffee and, and maybe work for us? And that was super exciting because... You know, it was just that other sort of step up, I guess, and, and another place where I could learn heaps. And that's where our paths first crossed. Yes. You were working the weekends and I'd come in on the afternoons. You worked with Corinne and Glenn Daniel. Yep. You would have learnt a whole lot in a short period of time because so they were such uh, – oh, and still are great teachers. Yeah, and that was – like, again, such a blessing of a newsroom to work in because I think, you know, in bigger places sometimes you can get a bit lost. Everyone's just trying to sort of do their thing. But in there, Corinne and Glenn, you know, made such an effort. I'm so grateful for it to really give us feedback. And you hardly get that in media. No. Um, ever, good or bad, really. Maybe, you know, in TV it's probably everyone says, you know, if you don't hear anything bad then it's fine, but that's how it is. Um, whereas Corinne would sit you down and, you know, do a proper air check and they'd really sort of teach you about writing and um, about, you know, getting the best possible story across in a short amount of time. And I think by the time I came out of there I was just, you know, a thousand times better. So would you say that the way that they mentored you helped you or make you who you are today? Yeah. In many respects. Yeah. And you know, there are different sort of steps along the way, I guess. I was again, I was only there, I think, for about maybe just under a year, like ten months or something. And then um I ended up switching to two UA because you know, an opportunity came up there and I guess when you're earning terrible money as you are in, in radio Often when you're young, um, you know, if someone comes and offers you another five grand or something, then you take Happy it days. with both hands. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I eventually then moved on to there. But I, in that time at WS, I learned, I learned so much. And Leanne Lincoln was there at the time as yep. well. Um, she was sort of the senior reporter. So I'd go into Parley with her and sort of learn my way around State Parley. And, yeah, there was, you know, a lot of really good experience, some crazy hours. Like I used to, those weekend shifts when I'd run into you, yeah. I think I'd start at three or... 
something and I'd usually get in early because I wanted to really make sure that I got across the papers properly and stuff. But I think, yeah. How important is that, like preparation? Oh, huge. And I think especially on those early morning shifts, I was the same at 2UE because I think my first step there was doing weekend breakfast. And so you're editing and reading every half hour, which is, you know, a, quite a full-on shift because yeah. you don't, you know, you don't want to be behind. You've always got to be looking ahead to the next half hour after the one that you're reading. And by the time you spent all that time in the booth, you've got, you know, 15 minutes or something back in your chair. You're often doing interviews on the phone and thinking about where to send reporters and all that stuff. So it was, yeah, really full on. And I think that if that shift officially started at four, but I'd get there at 2.30 because I just didn't want to, you know, it took me a little while to wake up in the yeah. morning and I just didn't want to kind of miss anything crucial. One of my favourite questions from people that work outside oh, of media is... I know what you're going to say. What do you do between the bulletins? Oh, my God, kill me. Even I remember even my mum asked me that and I was like... Yeah, <gasps> the magical typewriter types all of the, yeah, the news, news out for you. a that just kind of manufactures Hello. Hello. for every station. Like, oh <laughs> It's my a God. miracle. It's a news miracle. Oh, my gosh, so much work. <laughs> but see, it's funny because then in TV it is really different. And, yeah. I, you know, I can't pretend that I get in there and look at everything that's happened and, you know, put the bulletin together because mm. I don't. You know, there's a lot more sort of cooks in the kitchen in TV, which I'm grateful for. But it was, you know, it was awesome in radio to have that experience of having to take responsibility for everything. Tell me about that 2 UE experience. You went on to become the police reporter there. Yeah. What was that like as, as a shift? I mean, you would have seen some uh, damn awful things during your time doing doing that shift. And that's, for people that haven't done that in radio, that's full on. You've got to be in there during the breakfast shift, but you might not finish until six or seven at night. Mm. And then you on, might get a call at midnight saying such and such has happened. Yeah. You've got to get um, out there. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about that. What that what was that? That was, like? re- it was I mean, it was a wonderful experience. Um, that opportunity came up, I think, not that long after I'd been at 2UE and... I hadn't necessarily thought that I would be up for it, but Clinton Maynard, thank, you know, thank God for him, came along and said, you know, would you be interested in this? I think, you'd, you know, you'd make a good police reporter and um, loved it. I mean, it, it absolutely consumes your life. Like you can't, you know, I don't know if people even sort of realise when they don't do it, but you can't drink when you're a police reporter because you've got a car, like a company car, and you're, yep. that's because you're on call all the time. So unless you ask for, you know, sort of little holiday weekend or whatever, then, you know, you're pretty much working all the time. And I started going out with Ben, my husband, while I was police reporter, and thank God he got it. And people sometimes ask what it's like to sort of date someone in the industry and whatever, but I don't think it would have worked with anyone else because no. Sunday, 2 a.m., we would have had a great night out or whatever, and then I'd get a call saying, you know, a teenager has shot another teenager accidentally in wherever, long long way away, and Ben would actually wake up and say, do you want me to come? Like, I'll drive you because, yeah. you know, he loves news and so he you know, would sort of be on board with the whole thing. I remember going up the coast to bushfires with him and he sort of came along for part of the ride. And um, otherwise, I think it'd be, it's hard to live a normal life when you're doing that work. And, uh, you know, that's probably why I didn't last that long before I then switched to TV. I think I did it for about, you know, maybe 15 months or something, just over a year. It's not a long-term gig, right, if you want to have some kind of life outside of it. Some people absolutely love and crave it, but Mm. for me, looking at it from someone that works on the inside, I've just seen people that 
like you say, it absolutely consumes their life. So it can't be something that is going to be a long-term gig. Mm, And I think especially, like you said, because you're covering really awful stories a lot of the time. And I, at the time that I did it at TUE, they'd actually combined that role with the court reporter role. So I was doing both, which, you know, you get this look on your face. like that. There's two things which are pretty impossible to combine because they're both massive in themselves. Well, yeah, and it's like there's so much complexity to some of the stories involving the police rounds, even more so with courts. I guess you kind of get your handle on the fact that, okay, there might have been an incident and then six months down the track you're following it through the court process. So yeah. it, it gives you that, that advantage. But at the same time, that's not a two-person two No, gig. exactly. And, like, it, it wasn't. And it was really – I guess I felt – that that it was really hard to do both of them properly because it you just couldn't couldn't physically one person devote yourself to two jobs completely. Um, but you know at the same time it was what it was, and I got great experience in court through that. And I you know I absolutely loved reporting on court. There were some big trials at the time, and so I felt like in a way I kind of also got the best of both worlds. Not you know the best is probably the wrong word in relation to a lot of those stories, but. You know, there were some big crime stories and then there were big court stories and whichever one was bigger is what I would go to. So, you know, the Gordon Wood trial was on, for example, during that time. And so I was trying to sort of balance that with the early morning shootings and things like that. And it was a crazy time. And, I, you know, even just for the kind of subject matter, I couldn't have done it forever. But, um, yeah, what an experience. One of the great things about working on the road is establishing contacts and friendships with other reporters, whether they be newspaper, radio, TV, whatever, there's a great sort of bond or kinship that develops within that particular group, even though you might be rivals with them or whatever. Yeah. Who did you learn from the most? Because you would have had to have relied on other reporters at certain stages, whether it be on the police round or, in fact, in the courts. Yeah. Um, look, Robert Vardia was great. Um, and, it's you know, it's funny that we sort of – had quite a good friendship back then when I was um, 2UE police reporter and he was Channel 7 police reporter. He was so far ahead of me in, you know, in experience and contacts and all of that he still is. Um, but he was really generous and he'd sort of share things with me sometimes. If he was breaking a big story on Channel 7 that night, he'd say, hey, you know, why don't you do it for the 6 o'clock news as well um, yeah. for 2UE? And um you know, things like that, he'd sort of tip me into certain things and I guess I sort of did the favour the other way around for him as well. You know, if I, I used to start at five, so if I got to a crime scene before he did, then sometimes I could sort of keep, you know, a couple of witnesses hanging around so that he could talk to them as well and, you know, those sorts of friendships, like you say, are um, are invaluable. Then, you know, there are people like Damien Ryan from Channel 9 yep. who, you know, I mean, I haven't particularly sat down with, with Damo and said, teach me what you know, but when you're just running into these people on the road all the time and you see the way they operate, um, you know, I think you learn from that and you even sort of learn how to deal nicely with other journos and I think, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm a bit stuck between the generations sometimes where you know, not to kind of stereotype the young reporters, but some of them are so keen and so um, ruthless and it's, you know, really about sort of not missing anything and getting every single story. Well, it's the pressure, right? They're un- they feel Huge like they're pressure. constantly under pressure. Yeah, which sometimes pushes people, I think, into doing, you know, maybe behaving in a way that they wouldn't 
normally behave. And then I look at people like Mark Burroughs and Damien Ryan and Chris Reason and, you know, they really, I guess, you know, it's more sort of Damo and Burroughs that I would sort of run out run into out on the road um, because they're, they were at the opposition. Um, they are at the opposition. But they um, have a really gentlemanly way yeah. of doing things. And, you know, if you're both at the same story, you don't need to always make it a big dogfight. No. Um, if you're there anyway, you can sort of make it a bit more pleasant for the for the victims or whoever involved by sort of cooperating a little bit and, you know, helping each other out from time to time. It doesn't mean if you've got an exclusive, you're going to share it. Yeah. But, you know, there's sort of a way of dealing with people. And I think, you know, when you said before about um, how just running into these guys on the road and developing those sort of friendships with rivals um, is such a part of it. I probably only really appreciated that when I went on maternity leave. Right. And I was like, you know, I really miss the kind of social side of work. And not that you'd you yeah. know, sort of say that to your boss, oh. like, that's what I'm missing. But it's no, but you take it for granted. There's a lot of dead time out yeah. there on the road because... You're waiting for somebody to come out of court. You're waiting for a media conference to be called. Quite often they'll get delayed for whatever reason. So essentially you're just sitting there in the gutter or on the street with other journos. So you either suffer it in silence or, uh, you know, shoot the shit. Exactly. And like get to know each other's lives. And yeah, like a lot of those guys I now sort of catch up with outside of work because I'm not really seeing them on the road anymore. But, you know, Erin Bell from Channel 10 is lovely. Um, like Gabby Boyle from Nine, I see. Um, gosh, you know, there's... And then again, the other the other side of that is that, like, if people decide to move out of a media career, they might go and work for a politician, for example, or they might be a spokesperson for another organisation and therefore instantly you formed another bond or another contact with somebody that, you know, you just used to see on the road as a as a reporter so there's so many different facets to that and i think it's it's so advantageous the more that you uh, go through your career yeah i definitely find that now like it's been you know what 10 11 years i guess that i've been in sort of sydney media and it's yeah it's really lately that i've started to kind of find that lots of the people that you come across and that you pick up the phone to call from whatever company you've worked with at some point. And, you know, even Jason Morrison is our new seven news director in Sydney and I've never actually worked with him before, but we've known of each other and sort of known each other from radio days where, you know, I'd be the two-way police reporter turning up to something thinking I was there first and then Jason, who wasn't even the police reporter, you know, the police reporter would be away and Jason would turn up because he'd had the scanners on at home and he was sort of doing other stuff at 2GB. At so, um, you know, you just come across all these people and you can't really afford to make that many enemies, which is why I also kind of look at some of the younger generation and think, don't, you know, like it's totally fine to be competitive, but just be careful because you're going to be running into all of these people for the rest of your career. I don't really understand that pressure and I've sort of seen it firsthand that bosses put people under. I guess it's changed a little bit in the fact that there's a whole lot of stage-managed media conferences these days. So the, the actual mm. first to, to get the story first, well, it doesn't really happen because it's all at the, at the one time, but still you've got to go and present it for radio. But great thing that Murray Olds taught me is you've always got time. You think that you don't have time, but there's always time in terms of being able to, if you can't deliver it like 30 seconds to the hour, just do it live. Yes. You know, it's it's yeah. that thing. There's always time to tell that story. Yes, and to in, in some form, even if you haven't got all the details yet. or And that's such a thing in radio, I think. And I look at some of it, you sort of get used to the TV mentality where you might not have to file for a while 
And I look at some of the radio guys, like when I'm in court, I think, gosh, he's he's got to file this in two minutes' time. Yeah. How did I used to do that? Like he's got to not just make sure that he's across exactly what the story means and what this judgment says or whatever, but also make sure that he's not putting his foot in anything legally because there's suppression orders and all sorts of stuff around. So, yeah, that's a big, that's a big deal. I remember one, um, at one trial, Milton Orkopoulos, who was the former state minister who was yep. charged with, you know, drugging boys and sexually abusing them and all this awful stuff was being tried up at Newcastle. And we were all kind of staying overnight, I think, for the last few days waiting for this jury verdict to come back. And you start to kind of lose hope after a while because you all get impatient. And we all had a big night out one night where, you know, Lee Jelasek was there for seven and ended up, you know, on the karaoke like Tom Jones spinning the microphone around his head. Mm. Everyone was out till some ungodly time in the morning and drinking a lot. And then, of course, the next morning, as soon as we get into court is when the verdict comes back. And it was quite complicated because there were like three dozen charges and they went through them all individually. And as they're doing that, the foreman's standing there giving these verdicts. And I was looking at Emily Smith, who is my mate who was working at 2GB, and I was at, I was there for 2UE, and we were kind of counting down and it came down to one minute to the hour and we had to file this story. And so we both ran out of the courtroom, checked with each other. Did you get guilty on 33 out of 36 or whatever it was? Yep, got that and then just filed and pretty much, you know, had to do a live into the midday news or whatever it was because, yeah. It's quite a rush, no more time, but as you said, there, there can always be time. TV came calling. Yeah, I guess in some way, or I went calling. Um, oh, you went calling. Tell us what, well, how you, what you, uh, you thought that you'd reached what, as far as you could reach with radio, and then wanted a new challenge. I think so. Yeah, and I guess that I absolutely love radio, and I still really miss the way that you can file in radio. And you know, even if you don't, you can't decide which angle to do this hour. You can always do the other one next hour or whatever. It's it's so different to TV. Um, so the transition wasn't that easy in that way, but I think by the time I got to radio, there was or there'd already been a lot of money cut out of radio newsrooms, and there was a real ceiling. I think as far as salary, you know, as as where you could go, not just salary, but even sort of seniority. And there weren't as many senior reporters like in the old days. I think you know there used to be several senior reporters who would have been on reasonable money, and. TUE had a helicopter at one stage. Like that's just, you know, I can't even imagine that. Um, So I sort of thought, okay, well, you know, I think it's time to sort of. That old old excuse of, you know, um, newsrooms don't make money, they cost money and all that sort of talk comes through. So if there's going to be a budget cut, it's going to be in a newsroom. Exactly. And, you know, recently we saw it with like TUE's newsroom where I used to work just – Gone. Suddenly gone. Um, so I guess I sort of just, you know, felt that vibe and thought, okay, I need to kind of, you know, go somewhere where I feel like there's sort of further room to grow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I made a tape and sent it to Channel 7 and, um, yeah, they said, look, we've got a job in Canberra. And I had been, I think, going out with Ben for about six months or something. And I thought, oh, do I go? Test on the relationship. Yeah. And again, someone who is in the industry and understands, he was like, you have to go. It's Canberra. Like, it'll be great. Because he's done time in Canberra yeah. as well. And um, so, yeah, I went down there for, I think, about, it was meant to be two years, but I think it was just just under two years um, for seven. Yeah. And that must have been an amazing time because politics in Australia over the last decade or so has been 
just so, well, I guess, interesting from the fact that there's been so many coups and there's been oh. so much bloodshed and there's been just things that we wouldn't have ordinarily have seen perhaps, you know, in the the Howard or the Hawke era um, has just completely changed so and society's unstable. changed and we've become just so big on tearing down politicians. I know, and that really, I think, kind of started just after I got to Canberra, which, you know, from a journo's point of view is not a bad thing. Um, I've been there for, I think, about maybe six weeks or so when Turnbull was rolled by Abbott. Right. Turnbull was ousted and Abbott got in by one vote, I think, and everyone was pretty stunned at that stage that Abbott had sort of made it. it. Everyone was expecting hockey to get in and all kind of went a bit pear-shaped. And anyway, um, so that happened. And then it was about six months later that Gillard rolled Rudd. And that was a massive night, you know, for journos. We're kind of stalking the corridors, trying to find out what's going on. Remember at one point coming out of the, I think it was Kevin Rudd's press conference where he'd said, you know, there's going to be a a poll tomorrow, um, a vote tomorrow. And we'd all sort of walked out and everyone was like, I wonder where Gillard is. And then I saw this red hair just down the end of the corridor, like, there she is, running down there. And I think that's, you know, some file footage that gets dragged out every now and then where, like, my hair is just (laughs) terrible and I'm in this horrible outfit because no one saw it coming that day and it's that sort of vision that you think, oh, God, can someone put that away? But, um, yeah. That must have been a completely different vibe to, okay, radio police reporter to TV camera reporter. Um just would have been so much to learn like going you know yeah like you said from radio to tv from crime to politics from sydney to canberra i'd never lived in canberra before and whatever and getting used to that press gallery vibe was different um but how is that because that would be a very very clicky group yeah it is but it's also a really friendly group um every, you know everyone's down there is pretty welcoming there are definitely the sort of senior figures that you're a bit intimidated by. But even once you sit down with them, I remember being, you know, so intimidated by Laurie Oakes. Oh, I can imagine. Being sat next to him at dinner one night and I was like, he's actually lovely and so easy to talk to. But I'd imagine he'd have like a just a presence. Such a, yeah, definitely massive presence and, you know, so much, God, so much experience and knowledge and, yeah, Laurie was great. Um, But it was a lot to get used to and I'm glad actually that I sort of, even though it was, that was a tough transition at the time, I'm glad I did start in TV in Canberra because the Seven Bureau down there is just like a family. Right. So welcoming. You're all kind of in this small office together every day, so it's quite different to the Sydney newsroom where everyone's out and about and doing different things. Yeah. Um, and the cameraman and everyone, you know, like if I had a problem with my car, they'd come and, you know, help check that or like it was a real family and they were all kind of interested in helping me and sort of teaching me the ways of TV, which I might have sort of got a bit lost, I think, if I was in a bigger newsroom trying to learn that. Two were the major influences for you down there because obviously, again, like I said, you had to learn a whole different round, as it were. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Mark Riley was our bureau chief down yep. there and he was, you know, so friendly and welcoming with feedback. I could sort of go to his office at any time and, um, again, you know, a huge amount of knowledge and he was really encouraging. Um, Alex Hart was my sort of colleague who were a similar age um, but he had been down there for longer than me and his family is actually in politics in South Australia, his mum, and so he had a lot of knowledge about politics and we got along really well. So um, he was, you know, helpful just to kind of, you know, toss things about 
Um, I never sort of felt like an idiot asking yeah. hardy, stupid questions because there are a lot of things that you just don't understand in yeah. sort of a procedural sense down there. Um, one thing I probably found a bit different and a little bit hard was that there was not as much going out. Um, so a lot of things were done at Parliament House. Sometimes you would go to press conferences and things, but if they were big ones, then Mark Riley would go and, you know, yep. you'd sort of defer to him to ask the questions and things. So there was a fair bit of office time and maybe not seeing other journos quite as much, even though you're all in the one building. It was just a really kind of different setup to um to sort of being on the road in Sydney. But the election campaign was different and I loved that. I felt like I was almost in a way back in my sort of comfort zone, yep. being out and about. We were travelling every day for five weeks. You wouldn't know where you were going. You'd just get on the plane and be like, Mystery okay, tour. now we're going to Alice Springs or whatever. <laughs> and you'd be getting up and doing sunrise every morning and then sort of out with one of the leaders every day and then swapping every week so that you wouldn't get sort of biased one way or the other or the other. And so it was, just, yeah, exhausting, but uh, so exhilarating, like such a good experience. And What would you say would be the main differences between radio and TV from a journalistic sense, not necessarily obviously one you're on, you know, it's a voice thing and one's your visual thing, but, yeah. you know, packaging the stories and, and I guess, you know, trying to find shots for different stories and things oh. like that. What are the, what did you find the most difficult I in a still, transitional sense? I still miss the simplicity of radio, just being able to get on the phone and tell a story and, you know, you could run out of a courtroom when something had just happened and you'd be straight on air with whoever the announcer was, and that's you're doing your job, whereas TV, I did find it a bit sort of hard to get used to the idea of needing so many people involved. It's more of a team thing, which has its upsides as well. You know, if you go away for a weekend to bushfires or a big crime in the country or whatever, you know, you've got your cameraman in the car and you're hanging out with the satellite guy and, you know, a soundo sometimes, and that's nice, whereas radio is really very individual. Um, But I, you know, I found that hard to either have to sort of wait for the next bulletin to be able to file, by which time all the radio guys had already told everyone the news, you know. Um, It's different these days because I guess people often see things on Twitter, like verdicts and things before they hear it on the radio now. That's right. But back in those days, the good old days, um, oftentimes you were in radio, you were sort of telling people news for the very first time. Yeah. There's something about that, isn't There's a real privilege to that, I think. Um, And then I guess the writing for TV I found hard um, to kind of transition to. And I guess, again, I was sort of doing Canberra stories as well, which um, was a different, you know, it's a different sort of thing, but it's a, it's a real craft, I think, writing for TV. Radio, definitely there's, you know, there's reporters who are good and bad at writing and telling stories, but TV, when you're throwing in the picture element and you have to work around something that you often don't have a lot of control of, you know, you've got the pictures that you've got and you need to start with your best pictures and your freshest stuff. And so, you know, the way that I would naturally tell the story, say on radio, um, it might be quite different in TV because you're working around other factors. Um, So I find it, you know, I think it's a more difficult craft writing for TV. And I still look at, you know, say like Paul Kadak from Seven News, I think is a wonderful yeah. writer, and Rezo, Chris Reason, and I look at their stories and I think, gosh, that was so well written. And, you know, I think, it, it, you know, some people have that more than others and some people, you know, you sort of get there over time, but I feel like radio I could master the writing quicker than I, I did in TV. You mentioned your husband earlier, Ben Fordham, who's the host on Drive for 2GB in Sydney. Yeah. He's also worked for the Today Show. What was that like when you initially went out with him 
you said it had as advantages the fact that you were both in media. Yeah. What makes it work for you guys? Um, I, I just, I mean, I can't imagine anything different, to be honest now. And I've always sort of met my boyfriends or whatever through work for some reason. I've never kind of yeah. been one to like meet guys in bars and whatever. Like, um, yeah, it's always sort of been a bit of a work thing for me. So um, I'm just used to it. I think initially, like I said, um, he would understand. And I've ha- I have had friends who've done police reporting who've had boyfriends totally out of media yeah. who it hasn't worked. Yeah. Like they've ended up breaking up because it just demands so much of your life and, you know, the boyfriend hasn't understood that, which I also understand. Um, yeah, but um, Ben totally got it. Sometimes I was probably less understanding of him than he was of me. I remember, you know, a couple of times, like 60 minutes would call at the last minute yeah. and say, oh, I want you to go to the US and do this. And I'd be like, but we're going to Bali next week. You cannot go, you know. Um, so sometimes it's annoying in that way. But, yeah, I mean, for us it works. I, I love it that he understands stuff. It doesn't mean that we're living a media life the whole time. Yeah. Like a, a, some of our friends are in media, um, mostly kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, but you know, most of that, like we've both still got our sort of group of friends from school and whatever. So we, um, you know, deal with plenty of people that aren't in media. Do you both find it easy to switch off? Because media is all consuming. Once you're in there, it's like this thing that draws you in. And now with the advent of social media, Uh, I'd imagine, and I know, I actually don't imagine, I know it's worse because having someone that's as a partner that understands the media, she works for a media company, but she doesn't understand just that constant thirst for knowledge to and stuff. to be yeah. like always wanting to know what's going on from, well, now it used to be like for me half hourly news bulletins. Now it's like every five minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, it, you, we don't switch off. And you're right, it makes such a difference having social media around. We probably would have before, I guess, just had the radio on all the time, which yeah. we sort of do anyway. Um, but now, yeah, I am definitely guilty of saying to Ben, can you get off your phone, get off Twitter? But then I'm such a hypocrite because, you know, I'm often on there as well. And, you know, sometimes we'll keep each other across things. Oh, did you see this or did you see that? And, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Ben would have been able to teach you a whole lot having – a lot of experience in both radio and television. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and he's he always gives great, honest, constructive feedback. Um, we're quite different personalities, so he's probably also taught me a lot, you know, in terms of sort of his way of doing things where, I don't know, Ben would march in and say, let's do this, let's make this happen whatever, whereas I might be a bit more like, oh, but, you know, then that person's already got this job to do and so I don't know if that's going to... You've always been very polite and considered. Is is, is you you saying perhaps that Ben gives you like a little bit of a harder edge, if you like? Perhaps, yeah, or just makes me think about things in a different way, Um, you know, whereas I would sort of tend to go, oh, no, maybe I should just do it this way because, you know, Ben would go, no, or, you know, Ben has he's so confident that he... Say, no, just go in and ask for this. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I can't ask for that. You know, maybe it's a bit of a male-female thing as well, but I think it's, you know, that's been quite a good influence on me, um, yeah, to be able to sort of, I don't know, grow some balls a bit more and <laughs> say, this is what I want, make it happen. <laughs> you wrote a great article about what we were talking about before when you were on maternity leave for news.com.au mm-hmm. about the fact that social media consumes your life. Right, yeah. And the fact that you had uh, at that stage uh, Freddie, your child. Yeah. And that you kind of got an appreciation for the fact that when you did switch 
the phone off or, or dropping in the toilet as you, did, yeah. yeah you <laughs> dropped it in the toilet you had this whole new world that opened up and made you appreciate things a whole lot more do yeah. you think we should all probably do a little Drop bit more of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i definitely think we should and you know i'd love to say that i carried some of that over to now obviously you can't live without a phone forever and i no. did it for about a week or something and then got one back and unfortunately life kind of goes back to how it was um and i but oh definitely i'd I'd love to be able to break away from that to some degree because I feel like sometimes it's, you know, it's almost just a habit. You just, I'm standing there waiting for a taxi or something and instead of just looking around and relaxing and sort of being in the moment, I'm just clicking on Instagram or Facebook just out of... Just going down the rabbit hole, right? It's just, oh, and I don't get any satisfaction out of it really. Like occasionally I might. And especially if, you know, it's sort of the way that things are done these days. If someone's had a baby or whatever, you know, you often find out through those sort of channels. Um, So I wouldn't want to miss out on that. But, yeah, it just sucks up a lot of time. And I I hate the idea of Freddie seeing me constantly looking at a phone screen. Did you enjoy that experience of writing? Yeah. Again, um, different and it was a challenge probably more than I thought. I think it, you know, it sort of seems sometimes when I read those sorts of columns online, it sounds like the person's just hopped on and punched it out. And that that's it didn't come easily to me necessarily. I'd sort of like write a bunch of thoughts down, but then to actually get it into something that I was happy to publish was quite a process. It's um, weird, isn't it? Having worked on radio and worked on TV, you're kind of able to master the the spoken word quite easily. And if people are any good at it, well, that's what they can do. Whereas if you transition to the written word where you've got that point where you can cross out a whole lot of stuff and start again, whereas in radio or TV, once you've said it, you've said it. You don't have that option, exactly. And I I almost, it's silly, but I almost feel like I not, not took it more seriously, but really thought a bit harder, especially when I was sort of putting my opinion out there in written form. Um, I thought about it maybe a bit more than I would sort of have the luxury of doing time-wise in TV and radio. But in my head, it's like TV and radio, it's on and then that's it and people move on with their lives. Whereas if they really wanted to kind of, you know, not that anyone would care or have the time, but, you know, really look at the writing, then they could sort of pick it apart a bit more. And so I, yeah, I sort of, I don't know, felt pressure to try and um, to make it something that I was happy with and was sort of something that was in my voice. And maybe the more you do it, the more you kind of find the right voice for that style of writing. And I was happy with the pieces in the end, but it took me a while to get there. How has motherhood changed you? Oh, that's a big question. Um, because everybody goes into like having a child with their own ideas on how they would be at a parent and then (laughs) you can pretty much throw that out the window once the child arrives. So how was the adjustment for you? The first few days I found it incredibly full on and I think it's just, you know, it's an experience that you've never had before, having a baby and being in the hospital and having to learn everything. Like I hadn't, you know, physically looked after a baby before. Um, so it just felt like there was so much to get your head around and you're so exhausted because you're up every few hours feeding the baby. And like I found all of that hugely overwhelming. And I thought, gosh, how am I going to get by when I get home? And there are no like midwives here to kind of press the bell and call in to help me. But it was funny. Once I got home, I actually felt heaps more settled. And, you know, that thing did kick in where you feel like you kind of, know what to do and I guess we were lucky because Freddie was 
pretty, you know, he hasn't been an easy baby at all, but um, at first, you know, like he was always a really good feeder and all yeah. that stuff. He slept pretty well initially. That changed later. Um, but, yeah, I sort of felt like I settled in once I was at home. I think one thing that, it you know, has definitely changed in me is my outlook on sort of my life and just kind of life in general. I was always, I was not a, never a worrier and I, you know, if someone was going sort of overseas, some crazy country and they yeah. wanted someone to come along, I'd be like, happy days, bring me along. You know, if I'd been able to go to Afghanistan with Channel 7, I would have loved to have done that. I, you know, I was always up for whatever, skydiving, do this, yeah. do that. And I kind of figured, you know, if your number's up, your number's up. Like I just I never worried about myself or death or anything bad happening, even though I was kind of surrounded by that stuff a lot of the time with work. Yeah. Um, but once I had a baby, I, I really changed. And I, I remember actually driving back from the hospital and we were driving across the bridge and I looked up. How slow do you drive when you first very, had the child? Very, very <laughs> slow. Ben was like, yes, the like slowest driving I've ever seen. And we both kind of kept turning around to check that he was all right. And oh my God, it's all such a fog. But I remember looking up when we were on the bridge and there was a news chopper above us. I think it might've been Channel 9's chopper or something. And you know how choppers can sometimes look a little bit shaky? Like yeah. they, they're sort of hovering and then they take off and they look a bit sort of shaky and I just because I'd never ever worried about going in the seven chopper like I I loved it yeah. it was an amazing experience and I just kind of suddenly thought oh I don't know if I'd want to go in one of those anymore you're so emotional in those first few days and I was just like picturing oh my god what if something happened to me and you know Freddie was here and it just made me sort of think about you know obviously being super protective of him and his life and you know, you sort of realise you can't control all of that and you have to let go to some degree. But also just um, my own life, I, f- I feel really different about, you know, having to be here for him. And You've launched your own podcast called yes. The Motherhood. What brought that about? Um, that was a conversation with um, a, f- a friend of mine who used to run 2GB, Rob Lowenthal, who started his own sort of podcasting platform and he had some great ideas about, you know, where podcasting in Australia was going to go and he said, look, I think, you know, there's a real sort of market out there for more content for women. Um, you know, you listen to, say, Talkback Radio and it's very male-dominated and, I, yeah, I really sort of got where he was coming from and so he said, why don't you think about doing something and, you know, even if, like, you know, you did some stuff on parenting because you've become a parent, it's kind of a different side to you, I guess, that you, you know, it wouldn't kind of conflict with your news stuff when you go back to, to news. And, um, yeah, so we got talking to a friend of mine who actually met in the Canberra Press Gallery called Lauren Dubois who lives in Canberra and she's been doing a parenting blog that's really funny and, yeah. um, you know, even when we worked together we had so much to say just in chatting about stuff and so we thought um, why don't we yeah, do one of those about parenting. So it's kind of, it's just getting started now and we're trying to, you know, figure out exactly like where we'll go and what other things we want to talk about. But I think, you know, it probably came out of just that thirst for knowledge that you feel when you're a new parent and you're confused and you're on Google constantly and wanting to hear about other people's experiences in whatever it is, you know, their baby teething or their baby going to childcare for the first time or whatever. And, um, I think there's, yeah, there's sort of an appetite for, um, some more of that conversation an honest conversation. I've heard some of the, the episodes and you're right. It goes down that honesty part. It's not all sunshines and lollipops, right? No, no. And 
yeah, I think the more people are sort of honest about that and can share kind of stories and tips and stuff with each other, the better. Because I'm, I'd imagine being a mum and that combination with social media whereby you think everybody else's kids are perfect yeah, and yeah. you're having a really wretch of a day yeah, yeah, <laughs> with yeah. yours can be really quite demoralising in, in many senses. Yeah, and I think we all need to be a bit conscious of that. And sometimes I sort of pull myself up too where I go, hang on, we've had like a cranky couple of days with Freddie. Um, he's going through a, you know, developmental leap or whatever it is or, you know, and then like he'll be laughing and smiling somewhere and you take a photo and that's the one that makes it to Instagram. So you've got to mm. kind of, um, you know, I think everyone needs to sort of factor that in a little bit. But definitely, you know, those days where, you're sort of feeling totally trapped at home because he has to go to bed at this time and this is happening and, you know, you've got to feed then and whatever. And then you'll see like a friend with, you know, a similar kind of age baby like posting a photo from the beach or something and you're like, why can't I get to the beach? Uh. Like, what's wrong with me? You know, but, yeah, I think you just got to sort of take it all with a grain of salt really and, and get on with things. You've been really generous with your time and I really appreciate it. But before we wrap it up, I just want to get some advice from you for any aspiring journalist that's looking to get into radio or TV. It's harder, I think, probably than it was sort of when I was doing it 10, 10 11, 12 years ago because there are less jobs in, in some of those newsrooms. But, there's, you know, there's there are still plenty of jobs in in the industry and maybe you just do things in a slightly different way. I would say don't think that you're above weekends and overnight shifts and all of that stuff. And, you know, I, I come across that sometimes and it's definitely not all of the young sort of uni graduates because some of them are outstanding mm. and have the best attitudes, I've, you know, I've come across. It does but- get noticed if you put in. Definitely. And, you know, I think if, you, if you're smart and you work hard, then you're always going to be able to, you know, you get along with people, you're always going to be able to find a job. And if you do a good job at whatever it is, even if you're starting from the absolute bottom of the ladder, that will always lead to another one. Um, I've, I've just found, you know, there's the odd sort of comment that is made these days where people don't aren't keen to either move to the country yep. or work overnight shifts or work weekends or, you know, they're like, gosh, you've been in it for a while and, you you know, your alarm goes off at 3.15 or how do you feel about still doing weekends? Or I'm like, that's the industry we work in. So if you don't like it, then, Pick something you else. know, maybe you need to do something else. Um, yeah, because a lot of the time, especially just in getting your start, is a case of saying, yeah, sure, being grateful for every job that you get and whether it's, you know, you're a one-man one band on Musclebrook Radio or, you know, working mid-dawns for several months and just, you know, getting on with it, then, yeah, you've just got to lap it up and do your best. Jody Spears, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Ralphie. There she is, Jody Spears. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Jody, please let her know by sending her a tweet at Jody Spears. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It'll mean you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.